Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's Psalm 55, verse 22. I needed to hear that today. It was the most important thing God could have spoken to me today. I'm carrying a lot of burdens at the moment. Um, if you follow me on Facebook, <clears throat> you might know that my son Will, uh, our youngest, who's 28, had uh, something happened a few days ago, and we don't know what it was. We're not sure. I mean, the only thing we can imagine is that he had a stroke, which sounds crazy for a 28-year-old, but there's good reason to believe that, and then fell down the stairs attempting to come up and get us to take him to the hospital. He is in um, neurotrauma at Mission Hospital here in Asheville, and, and it's, you know, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so I'm in that heavy place of trying to figure out, you know, w- what's going on, Lord? What's going on? We're hopeful. We're hopeful for multiple reasons, one of which is that, that we know him. And the other of which has been brought so abundantly clear to me in the last few days because um, I've done pastoral work for about 20-some-odd years now. And the people who are posting that they're praying for us, um, so many of them are people that I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with. So many people who I know the tragedies and traumas and, and in their own lives, and, and it's such... An amazing thing to see a group of people who love you and who care about you and, and who have gone through some of those same things. It's it's a wonderful thing to have those kinds of connections and those kind of community around you in a time when you have need. It's the wounded healer thing, and that's that's who we're intended to be. We're intended to take the grief and the pain of our own lives and and let God bind that up. And let us be able then to, to walk with that limp that Jacob walked with and to give that same comfort to others in the name of Jesus. And so it's important. And so it's time to cast your burden on the Lord, knowing he will sustain you. And Jeremiah is dealing with some of those same kinds of things here. Um, he, he is saying, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And then the the obverse of that is, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And I'm, I'll be honest with you that, that, that I've seen that same thing. The people that, that I know who have gone through the difficulties and have been in Christ are the people whose strength means so much to me now. They're the people who, who are strong. They've been through rough times. They've been through droughts. They've been through all of that, but they've they've planted themselves by the water. It's the same thing that's in um, Psalm 1. Frankly, it's just exactly the same sentiment. And it's important for us to be firmly established and planted, not in a pot, but in a place by that stream of living water in order that we might withstand all those things and not trust in men. You know, we have to depend on one another, but we can't put our full trust in one another because we're all fallible. And that's a, an important thing. And, and then he goes on from there to say, Jeremiah does, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, will search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. And, and then pleads, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. 
He's crying out to God because he's under incredible stress and duress from the people that he's prophesying to in the name of the Lord. The very people that God sent him to are persecuting him and threatening his life in different cases. And then other times he's thrown into a cistern to you know, wither away and die there. And uh, it, He's in a painful, difficult place. And when he makes this comment about the heart being deceitful above all things and desperately sick, he's talking about an unredeemed heart. You know, because remember later in Jeremiah 31, God promises exactly this redemption, that he's going to give us a new heart. And so as God's people, filled by the Spirit of God, then we become those people who are planted by the stream of water. It's, it's the new heart that's the necessary thing. And there should be um, a, a visible, observable change. John Wesley, when, when they... Uh, when they were here and active, he instructed his, the leaders of the places where people were doing mission that they were not, they were, they were essentially the way they counted converts was to say so and so had an experience. So we checked that box. And then they observed that person's manner of life for the next several months. And it wasn't until that point in time where they'd been able to observe change, lasting change, in a person's conduct and character that they counted him as a convert. Not when they had the experience of conversion, but when they actually observed that conversion as a, as a lasting change in somebody's life. And, and, and that's what it means to, to recognize that my heart is desperately sick and deceitful, is to recognize that it's not fully redeemed. But it's also to recognize God's power to be able to redeem that from that point. Because we can't get redeemed that which we don't ask Him to redeem. So it's important that we confess our sins. It's important that we deal with those things and allow him to convict us through the same Holy Spirit of those sins in order that he might redeem that part of our hearts that, that remains closed off to him. Jesus, when he's coming to this hour, prays in John 12, 27 to 36, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's all that matters. I mean, he's under great duress. He knows what's going to happen next. He knows what's, that crucifixion is coming. Pain, betrayal, everybody leaving him. He knows all of that's coming. And his prayer in the midst of that is very simple. You know, no, I've come for this very reason. You and I didn't choose to come into this world in order to suffer. It's just part of the life. The reality is Jesus did. He came into the world for that very reason. And in this hour, instead of asking that he be spared from pain, all he wanted was for the Father to be glorified. His one desire. That's what it means to be kingdom heavenly minded. And a voice then comes and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the people heard something. Some thought it thundered, another thought that an angel had spoken to him, and, and he answered, No, the voice was for your sake and not mine, and now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And the people knew that he was talking about dying, and so they said, What we understand is that the uh, Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? In other words, he must be somebody different from the Christ, it, and it's odd because later on, what's 
going to happen is certainly not going to be look like the judgment of the world, and it's not going to look like the ruler of the world being cast out. It's going to look exactly the opposite. It's going to look like the ruler of the world just won, and it's judgment on him, judgment on God, and that judgment looks like it's been executed in more ways than one, and and that that the ruler of the world wins. Well, sometimes it looks like that for a season. But we've always got to keep our faith and our eyes on Him in order to know that ultimately He is the winner. Because we all, who are in Christ, ultimately win over evil, win over the ruler of this world, who is Satan, the one who offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if He would only bow down and worship Him. And so Jesus promises Him, if, if you walk in the light, believe in the light, then you'll become sons of light. And that's an important thing for us. We need to come out of darkness and walk in light if we're to know Him. And walking in that light enables us to see more light and more light and more light and begin to understand more about Him. And it keeps us focused on that. It keeps us focused on Him and keeps our eyes from trusting man or trusting even our own sight sometimes because we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and yet we're to fear no evil. And Jesus here is... is speaking of the sacrifice of his own life that he's willingly offering up and it makes no sense nothing that's going to happen in the next few days of his earthly life is going to make any sense at all and it's going to look like exactly the opposite of the great reversal it's going to look like the triumph of evil for a season and then ultimately the kingdom begins to be established through the giving of the holy spirit to men and then that light shines in the darkness and we are the light who is shining in the darkness. And so what we want is to keep that light pure. We want to unveil as much of that light as possible in our own lives, which includes, as I said, dealing with sin. But it involves also more than that. It's not just the the dealing with sin in our lives, but it's also what Paul talks about in Philippians again and again and again is rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But before that, he has said that the the people in Philippi, my brothers, whom I long love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And that's the only way that we can rejoice in Him is if we're standing firmly in Him. And so he then begins to speak about all things. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you've ever been in a place where you are truly anxious about something, where, where you know that you're in over your head and there's not a thing in the world you can do, you know that you will persevere in prayer during that time. You know, there's a part of me in going through that that says, you know, Lord, make me anxious more often that I might spend more time in prayer with you. And he can do that in a couple of different ways, right? I mean, he could make your life absolutely a misery, or he could open your eyes to the suffering around you, and you can learn to truly love people the way that he loves people, the way that Jeremiah loved the people. And that is is that, that we could be anxious pouring our lives out for others, and that we could feel their pain and experience that pain vicariously in order that we might lift them up in prayer. And I can't tell you how much that means. I would never, I'm 60 years old, I would never have been able to tell you that, I don't think, at the level that I know it at the moment. 
what it means to have brothers and sisters in Christ lifting you before the Lord because you need it. You desperately do. And you can know the strength that comes with that in a way that's different from uh, any other time in your life. And then Paul says, after, after you do all those things, he, he tells you this is all about how to live in Christ. He said, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. That, you know, so much of the time that doesn't describe my thoughts at all. So much of the time I'm focused on the nonsense of earth, the nonsense of politics, whatever it is, and I can get focused on that and I can lose my peace and I can lose my joy because I'm thinking about all those other things rather than the things Paul's saying we should be thinking about. And I believe he's right. If you did fix your mind, your thoughts, and your heart on all those things, then it would absolutely change who you are and, and what kind of person you are. You would be filled with a different sort of spirit, to be perfectly honest with you. And that's the little book, Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, um, was one of the, is one of the finest pieces of literature you'll ever see about how to live the Christian life, how to abide in Christ. And it's a very brief little book, and I highly commend it. And I highly commend that you read that prayerfully because it's... Um, it's a wonderful treatise on how to abide in Him and how to do exactly the things that Paul's speaking about here. And he, he then says, thank you so much for your concern for me. And I know that you, you're happy that you've had an opportunity to relieve that concern because before you didn't have an opportunity. And he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He knows how to persevere because he knew how to abide. He knew that, that no matter what the circumstances of this life are, God is good. He is supremely good. And that eternity, that heavenly city, that kingdom, is where our true citizenship lies. We can experience that now by the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer and in community. We can experience the joy of that new life that will be right now by abiding in Him and being part of a greater community of saints in this world.